This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 576 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Catching up with Diana, Harley and Ivy on the run, Harvey Dent's about to be faced, John and Damien get exposition thrown at them, Jesus checks in with his dad, we've got a horseless rider, and all the hubbub on Substack. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, September 26, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Wonder Woman Black and Gold Number 2 by Tomaski, McKelvey, Grayson, Howell, Walden, Williams, Wood, and Smythe. You may remember we discussed Number 3 last episode. This one fell through the cracks, and I just picked it up this week. With Diamond Distribution in Freefall, comic collecting is getting more haphazard. I also picked up a previous issue of DC Black Label's Rorschach. I was still confused after reading it. (laughs) Anyway... Diana's continuity-free anthology continues. Without love is just that. The god Eros shut down the emotion by pulling out his own heart, and Diana has to fight Eris to return it. God with no name introduces us to a forgotten son of Zeus and Hera, who Diana has to fight to save Hippolyta's life. Homecoming is a story sans dialogue. Diana's dream about Themyscira and her mother. A common motivator pits Diana, Nubia, and Artemis in a game of skill. Diana and Nubia team up to ensure Artemis does not win. The acquaintance has Diana chatting with Circe as frenemies. Diana is there to retrieve Superman trapped in a magic bubble. Let's not tell the others about this, okay? The artwork is varied, but extraordinary. Just as an aside, I want to say... I believe there is a place in the comic world for both non-continuity and continuity stories. And I wish that they would realize that more and put out more of these non-continuity issues. Harley Quinn, the animated series, The Eat, Bang, Kill Tour Number 1 by Franklin, Saren, and Louise. If you're not watching Harley's series on HBO Max, which is definitely not for the kiddies, you're missing out. The story begins just after the recent season ended with Harley and Ivy on the lamb after Quinn stopped Ivy's wedding with Kite Man. Commissioner Gordon, who's clearly insane in the series, he just wants recognition and the key to the city, vows to track them down. Harley argues with her Dr. Quinn persona in the rearview mirror of their convertible about the best way to get Ivy to open up about how she's feeling. They go back to the abandoned mall that is their HQ and enjoy a night in Harley's bedroom, a.k.a. a mattress store. Then they realize they've got to go to ground using the abandoned hideouts of villains they previously sent to Arkham. 
Unfortunately, Gordon has them bugged. Batman 89, number two by Ham, Quinones, and Ito. Bruce escapes from last issue's police raid, but not before a kid dies on his watch. Meanwhile, Harvey Dent and Barbara Gordon, DA and police officer here and in a relationship, try out some of Batman's wonderful toys before Harvey has to go to a meeting in Burnside. The locals aren't happy with him as they see him riling up people and causing violence for his own political benefit. During a speech that night, Batmen, punks in Bat Regalia, are looting a store before a kid in a cloak teaches them a painful lesson. When one of them says, he was Robin before getting hit, a bystander says, I think the Bat guy called him Robin? Bat at stately Wayne Manor, the giant penny from the last issue, is delivered. Bruce is in the cave watching a TV talk show where they try to psychoanalyze Batman. He's taking a break while he deals with the death of the kid and while there's a federal price on his head. Back at the speech, Detective Bullock calls out Dent for being two-faced. Later, the Batmen have figured out where Robin lives, and Bruce visits Harvey to propose he pay for every school-age kid in Burnside for a full college scholarship to try to improve their lives. Afterwards, Bruce hears a scream and shoves a mask on, otherwise in street garb, only to find Catwoman roughing up one of the Batmen. Later, Harvey sees that the garage where they held the Burnside meetings is ablaze. He runs in to save his friend, only to be knocked out while car battery acid pours out toward his face. So apparently that's how they're going to make him two-face in this continuity. He's laying down on the ground with one side of his face down. Exactly. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Challenge of the Super Sons, number six of seven by Tomasi, Stanley, and Guerrero. In 1521, Felix Foss and Vandal Savage are making their way to the apprentice's hideout, with the latter taking out the troll guards. In the hideout, the apprentice lays out a ton of exposition to John and Damien. Faust is using the future knowledge he got out of their minds to set traps to stop the Justice League in our time. She's making a scroll from enchanted trees that will become the Doom Scroll, which John and Damien will use to save their mentors. During all this, John enjoys fermented troll urine. The baddies break in. There's a fight, which Faust ends by putting the apprentice in danger. John and Damien are taken prisoner, and the apprentice weaves a spell, creating a glamour for the trolls, making them a medieval Justice League. This distracts the baddies long enough for the apprentice to send the boys back home. Second Coming, Only Begotten Son number 5 from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Pace, Kirk, and Troy. The seniors in the bus find themselves in the line to heaven post-earthquake. Meanwhile, Sunstar helps to rebuild the city, and Jesus makes plans to return to heaven and see his dad. Sunstar realizes that directly helping people is much better than just stopping villains, and opens up a storefront for people to come to him with their problems. Back in heaven, God goes on stage to meet the new arrivals, which come from all over the universe. Hey, how y'all doing? He suggests that since they will be there forever, they should consider taking up a hobby. There's some Q&A. Is there a hell? It's the part of heaven by the landfill, and we see Hitler and Stalin fighting off pigeons. Did O.J. kill his wife? Yes. Well, I mean, obviously. The new arrivals meet their deceased relatives and friends. One of them has kept such a clean life free of temptation that no one greets him. 
Sort of weird how important sin is to forming human relationships, isn't it? Back on Earth, Sunstar's storefront goes as badly as you might suspect, with people greedily asking for things. Back in heaven, the clean life guy is nonplussed with his new existence, thinking his acts should have rated better. God explains that he gambled everything on the Christian horse in a race, and, having bet it all, it never even occurred to you to spend your soul on anything else. God hands him Ramon's concert tickets as a consolation prize. Jesus just watches all of this happen. Back on Earth, an old man tells Sunstar that the best thing he can do is leave Earth. Otherwise, he'll realize one day that human beings are a mistake and destroy the world. In the end, Sunstar decides to install a space elevator. One more issue to go. While I was reading the part where the people get to heaven, it really struck me how like, spoiler alert, it was to the good place. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And the yeah. final season. So, or defending your life, I kept getting. Oh, that's true to too. That. Yeah, it's interesting how you can take a concept and go different ways with it. I'm not saying they copied it or anything. I'm mm-hmm. just saying it's very interesting. Black Hammer Visions Number Eight from Dark Horse by Snyder and Rubin. Scott Snyder puts his mark on the Hammerverse in a story about early vigilante, the Horseless Rider. The action takes place in Arizona, both in the Old West and in 1955. A dying man in a nursing home suspects the orderly is stealing people's stuff and calls him on it. Turns out he's right, and a ghostly figure is watching him. Back in the Old West, a thief comes across a funeral procession with a golden coffin. He's told the man in the coffin and his possessions are cursed, and he scoffs at that. In the golden coffin, he finds a body surrounded by golden bullets and golden revolvers. Later, when he tries them out, he's accosted by ghosts demanding revenge and is transformed into the rider. Back in 1955, the orderly knows the jig is up and goes to smother the old man. The rider appears, along with the dead who he's wronged. He falls out the window and is killed. The old man finds golden bullets in his box. He's the rider's son. A very moody story. Now, speaking of Black Hammer, we wanted to talk about a service called Substack. Comic book creators have rarely done well financially, from the days of Siegel and Schuster getting a per-page rate for Superman, forcing them into a never-ending legal battle, to modern creators forced to complain on social media when their creations are used in billion-dollar film franchises just in order to get a payout. The deck has always been stacked against them. This is why many artists, even the best-known ones, end up spending their weekends at conventions drawing commissions just to make ends meet. In the Internet age, sites and tools have been developed to allow creators to skip the publishers and distributors selling their stuff directly to the reader. For example, Patreon allows you to subscribe to a creator, paying a monthly fee or when a new work is produced. The problem with all of this, as is the case with most user-created internet content is getting someone to notice you're out there. The result is that, for the most part, only well-known creators can actually make a living doing this. Substack was created a few years ago originally to host journalists and bloggers who wanted to get their message out to people without any filters or middlemen. You subscribe via a monthly payment, around $5, to a creator's work. They also provide a method for readers to directly interact with creators via message boards. Over 500,000 subscribers use the service today. The service gets a 10% cut, 
with the payment platform getting another 3%, with the rest going directly to the creator. This year, Substack expanded to allow comic creators to use the service. They also began to engage creators with large upfront payments up to six figures to use it. It's the digital equivalent to a book advance. Creators are flocking to it, including Jonathan Hickman, Scott Snyder, James Tinney and the Fourth, who is leaving the Batman title to concentrate on Substack, and Jeff Lemire, who has announced a Substack-only Black Hammer book. Of course, up-and-coming creators could also use Substack, but without the upfront payment or the likelihood of being seen above the noise. Like most internet services with user-developed content, there's the issue of potential censorship by the platform itself. There's a fine balance between scaring away creators with a heavy hand or scaring away creators with offensive content. Substack has gone the latter route and, as a result, includes bloggers with questionable thoughts and even hate speech. Some creators have already announced that they will give some or all of their proceeds to charitable organizations, but that still leaves 10% going to Substack. It's clear that Substack won't take a reasonable stand on this. Because of that, we're not going to subscribe to Lemire's Substack, despite our love of his work and our wish to support creators like him. Presumably, comics released on Substack will eventually make it back to the traditional publishers. We can wait. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.